0: There have been many, many sermons preached on the matters of baptism and on the necessity of <laughs> baptism, but that's not what this sermon is gonna be about. We're gonna focus on what happens after a person is baptized. Now, having said that, I do wanna say this about baptism. The Bible is very, very clear. We're told that we must be baptized for the remission of sins in Acts 2:38. In the book of 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21, baptism is compared back to the days of Noah, wherein there were eight souls saved by water it says, in like manner, we are saved today by baptism. The book of Acts contains no less than ten examples of those people who had a desire to be saved, to become a Christian. And in every single instance, those people were baptized. I've never quite understood the argument against baptism. It doesn't make sense to me. The Bible says do it, so we do it. That's how simple it is. Let's consider for a moment, though, what happens when a person is baptized. Baptized. Paul describes it this way in Romans chapter 6 beginning in verse 3. He says, Do you not know that as many of us that were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him through baptism into death. And just as Jesus was raised by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. Paul said we're buried with Jesus whenever we become a Christian, and we walk in newness of life. What happens when a person is baptized is so special it's so remarkable and so unique that it will forever change that person for eternity. We're told in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. When we're buried in the blood of Christ in the, in the uh, waters of baptism, we come out a Christian. We're clean, we're pure, we're whole, and we're forgiven. Now many of you may have heard people make some insulting or kind of derogatory remarks about the churches of Christ. You may have heard people say things like, all you care about is getting somebody in the water. All you care about is baptism. And sadly, there are brethren that that's their entire focus is to get somebody baptized and that's it. But baptism is only the beginning. I hope that kind of attitude will never be said about any of us here. Galatians 3.27 says that for as many of us that were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. So we're going to look at four different ways that I've chosen to to see how we can put on Christ today. This list is nowhere near to be exhaustive. There are so many ways that we can put on Christ. but These are four that I think that can help each of us in our walk with Christ. Number one, and this one may seem somewhat obvious. When we put on Christ, we put on our Christian clothes. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning verse 22, it says that we are to Remove or take off that former conduct, the old man that we were, and we're to put on a new man according to which God had created. When we put on Christ, part of that is taking off the old person. We are no longer that same person anymore. And as a Christian, we should be able to say, just as Paul did in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live in the faith by the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, Paul knew that once he was a Christian, it wasn't about what Paul wanted. It wasn't about what Paul desired. Everything suddenly becomes completely and totally devoted to what Christ would have us to do. It's a new man that we wear. Part of being a Christian and and putting on that new man is being a Christian 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Have you ever known somebody to be totally different on Monday morning, maybe at school or at work, than they were on Sunday, that is an absolute tragedy because that person has not put on Christ. And what's more, they can have a very poor reflection on the Lord's church. Unfortunately, people will look at a person like that and they'll draw conclusions about the entirety of the Lord's church. 1 Corinthians twelve twenty-seven says that we are the body of Christ. Everything we say and do and how we act needs to represent who Christ is and what Christ is but that needs to happen every single day of the week, not just on Sundays or Wednesday nights. Part of putting on the new man and putting on our Christian clothes also means that we recognize a much higher authority than ourselves. We recognize Christ's authority. Matthew 28:18 said that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus said those words. And the famous passage of Colossians 3.17 says that whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Every single thing we do needs to be directed by Jesus. We need to think about every situation that we're in, would Jesus approve of this, would he authorize what I'm about to do? Finally, putting on our Christian clothes means that we're going to be different. And it's time we act like we're different. 1 Peter 2.9 says that God calls us his special people his peculiar people. You know, we're not supposed to act like the rest of the world, but all too often, I'm afraid that's what we do. Unfortunately, so many Christians, we go to the same places as everyone else. We watch the same movies as everyone else. We're entertained by the same things as everyone else. But that's not what God's will for us would be. We are special. We are called out people. We're all familiar with passages like what's found in Galatians chapter 5, where it lists the works of the flesh, things like adultery, fornication, drunkenness, murder. And it says people that commit these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, As Christians, we can look at a verse like this or a passage like this, and it's easy or at least tempting for us to think, you know, I don't don't commit those kinds of sins. I don't commit murder. I don't commit adultery or fornication, so I must be okay. I want you to turn with me in your Bible to Romans chapter 1. We're going to look at a passage that speaks about this very idea, Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, Paul talks about the wrath of God on those who are unrighteous. In verses 26 and 27, he talks about the sin of homosexuality. And beginning in verse 29, that's that's where we're going to start reading, 29, he begins listing a pretty exhaustive list of sins that people can commit. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 29 being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they... That They which commit such things are worthy of death. Paul's right there. Paul said these people that commit these kinds of sins are worthy of death. That's a very serious sentence. Now allow me to finish the verse. I want to place emphasis on the last part of that verse, verse 32. Who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same but have pleasure in them that do them. You see, Paul says we can be just as guilty if we find ourselves taking pleasure in these sins. Question. What kind of television shows do you watch at home? What kind of music do we listen to? What kind of websites do we visit on the internet? Have you ever found yourself taking pleasure or finding approval in those that do these kinds of sin? Paul said we can be considered to be guilty of those sins just as those that commit it. Our Christian clothes make us different. It's impressive to me that that God has really raised the standard for his people. He has called us out to a much higher calling than the rest of the world. We're supposed to be different. As you give thought to putting on our Christian clothes, let's look at number two. Putting on Christ means that we're to put on our work clothes. Every one of us should be working. First Corinthians 15 58 says, My beloved brethren, Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. From the person that was just baptized to the person that's been a Christian for 50 or 60 years, there's work to be done for everybody. You can be involved in something in the Lord's church. None of us have an excuse to sit on the sidelines and wait for somebody else to do our job for us. Colossians 3.23 says that whatever you do to work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men. I truly believe that God has given every single person some kind of ability or talent that can be used to glorify his name. But it's gonna be up to us to discover what those talents are and to use them. The part of putting on our work clothes and working for the Lord means we need to do it in a cheerful attitude. Second Corinthians chapter nine verse seven talks about us not giving of necessity, but giving as a cheerful giver. We often use this first in talking about our monetary giving, but there are so many other ways that we can give besides our money. Allow me to speak just for a minute to the men of the congregation, myself included. I'm going to ask you a question, and I want you to be honest with yourself. No one knows the answer to this question but you. Imagine for a moment that somebody here in the Lord's Church, maybe uh, before worship service, comes and asks you to help facilitate the worship services. You're asked to lead a prayer. You're asked to read scripture. You're asked maybe to lead a song or to offer the invitation. How do you typically respond? Do we start thinking about excuses that can get us out of it right away? Do we say yes, but we say it grudgingly? Yeah, I'll do it this time. Or do we cheerfully say it because we know that any work done in the Lord's church is work for God, work done for the Master. We need to consider what we do in the worship service is a complete honor and privilege that we can do it for God. Now, the last one on here about putting on our work clothes. We need to get uncomfortable. Part of working is being uncomfortable. It's not going to always be an easy thing to do. And what I mean by that is we need to get out of our comfort zone. Maybe you've never publicly led a prayer or read scripture or offered an invitation or led a song. Let me challenge you and encourage you to set a goal and to try something new this year that you haven't done before. We need to be pushing ourselves to grow with Christ. What about teaching a Bible class? Maybe you've never taught a Bible class before. Those of you that have been Christian for many, many years, your experience and maturity in the Lord could be priceless in in a classroom setting. It's been said before that knowledge not shared is knowledge wasted. Let me encourage you that if you've never taught a Bible class to do that, think about doing that and work towards that goal this year. Doing anything new can be scary, but we need to always remember that our work is not in vain in the Lord. Number three, the third way that we can put on Christ is to put on the characteristics of a child. I put this one in here because I think it's so easy for us as adults to forget what it's like to be a child. In Matthew 18, beginning in verse 1, verses 1 through 3, it says, At that time the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him and set him in the midst of them and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. You know, one of the notable problems that the disciples of Jesus had back in that day was the idea of Humility. They often ask him, who's going to be the greatest in your kingdom? You see, they're already thinking about their positions of power after this life was over. And Jesus tried to teach them over and over that position among Christians means nothing. We're supposed to be humble, we're supposed to be meek. And when you think about a child, they're going to be naturally more humble. You know, as adults, we're bigger, we're stronger, we're more knowledgeable, we're more experienced. So it's only natural for a child to be more humble. Romans 12.3 says that we are not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought, but rather think of ourselves with sober judgment. It's easy for us to talk ourselves into thinking that we're much better than we really are. That's a dangerous position to be in. Jesus wants us to be humble and meek like a child. We can also learn from children. There are so many things that we can do to learn from a child. Matthew 19.14, Jesus said, let the little children come to me. And do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. You know, somewhere along the pathway of life, from childhood to adulthood, we lose or at least forget some of those special qualities of a child. For me as a dad, it's been one of the funnest things to watch Levi grow up. It's almost like getting to go back and be a child when you talk and play with your children. But one of the things I'm learning with, with my son, he's three years old, is that there are so many times where... I'm trying to talk to him and teach him a lesson and what sometimes ends up happening is he teaches me something there's a story i want to share with you i think has great application for us as christians today we have a fairly consistent routine at night with levi for bedtime we do a bath we brush teeth and then right before bedtime we go into his bedroom and we do a bible story together we read and talk about it and then we sing some church songs and then we have a prayer And for about as long as Levi has been able to talk, he likes to lead us in prayer. And he does a good job at that. In this particular night, we were in his room. We read the Bible story. We sang some songs. And Levi prayed. And this is what he said. He said, Our Father in heaven, thank you for the good day. I thank you for my dad. I love him. And when that prayer was over, I was the happiest, most proudest father you could imagine. I wouldn't take all the money in the world for what that prayer said. But the more I thought about that prayer, I couldn't help but wonder, don't you think God wants to hear that from us as his children? When's the last time I prayed? When's the last time you prayed and just thanked God for being your father? Just thanked God for being your God? When's the last time we prayed to God and just said, I love you? 1 John four nineteen says that we love him because he first loved us. I think there are so many things that we can learn from a child if we just take the time to observe them, to talk with them, and there are other special traits that we could talk about. Think think for a moment how loving a child can be. Do we love the Lord and do we love God as a child can love his parents? Think about how trusting a child can be. Do we trust God and trust Jesus blindly like a child can trust his parents? What about forgiveness, forgiving? You can scold a child, you can spank him, and in a matter of minutes, he'll be, he'll, he or she will be back up in your lap, talking, playing, and they've forgotten what's, what's happened. For some reason, we as adults can't do that. And think about how pure a child is. Children don't have evil and malicious motives and agendas against people. There's so many things that we can learn, I think, from a child, and part of putting on Christ is putting on those characteristics of a child. Jesus said, you are to become like little children. And the fourth and final thing this morning that we're going to look at in putting on Christ is we need to put on knowledge. We need to be growing as a Christian each and every day. 2 Peter was written to Christians that were going to be faced with very difficult circumstances. It was written to them in a way to warn them and prepare them for false teachers and false doctrine. And the very last verse in that book, chapter 3, verse 18, says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God fully expects his people, his servants, to have a working knowledge of who he is and what his will would be for us. Peter doesn't leave this statement open as an option. He he says it as a simple matter of fact. We are to grow in the knowledge of our Lord. I've heard it said before that if you're the same Christian that you were last year or five years ago or ten years ago, that that's a serious problem. And you may think, well, wait a minute. I was faithful five years ago. I was faithful ten years ago. And that may be true. But if you're the exact same Christian you were five years ago, it also means you haven't grown. You haven't developed and matured in Christ." Hebrews chapter 5 Verses 12-14 through talks about how we are to mature as Christians. Beginning in verse 12, it says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. There is an obvious expectation here that we as Christians have to grow and move beyond those basic principles of our faith and our beliefs. The Hebrew writer in Hebrews chapter six tells us what those first principles and what, those, and what that milk is that we need to be moving beyond. It's things like faith, baptism, the resurrection. Now he isn't saying that these things aren't important. He's just saying by now you ought to be past them. You ought to know more about God's will than those basic elementary principles. When we put on knowledge, it's going to prepare us to be able to give a defense, to give an answer, to give a reason. When I was first hired in my current job, I learned very quickly that the president there liked to ask a lot of questions. And he usually asked these questions and already knowing the answer to them. But he would ask these questions in a way to better his employees, to make them more knowledgeable and smarter in their day-to-day job. And also learned that in these questions, if you didn't have a good answer, he would often reference what's called the five monkeys. I'm going to tell you this morning about the five monkeys, and I hope it makes sense to you. There was an experiment done with five monkeys in a cage. In this cage, you had five monkeys. and the very top of the cage, there was a banana. And these five monkeys would continually reach for the banana over and over and over. And every time, they would be squirted with water constantly. So they eventually just gave up. They stopped reaching for the banana because it just wasn't worth it. They didn't like being squirted with water. And as part of this experiment, they would take one monkey out and put one brand new monkey in who had never been squirted with water. And that new monkey would observe the other four and he wouldn't reach for the banana either. And over time, they took out one more and then put in one more brand new one. And the same thing happened to that one too. He wouldn't reach for the banana because the other three wouldn't reach for it. And this happened over and over and over. And eventually what you had was five brand new monkeys inside this cage who had never been squirted with water. And none of them would reach for the banana, but none of them knew why they wouldn't reach for the banana. Now the point is this. As Christians, we are not allowed to be one of those five monkeys. First Peter 3.15 says that we are to sanctify the Lord God in our hearts and always be ready to give an answer, give a defense, give a reason for why we believe what we believe. It's so important to know why we do what we do as Christians. And at some point we're going to all play the role of a teacher. It may be in a formal classroom setting or it may be just a casual conversation at work or with, or with our family. But one thing you can guarantee, you're going to at some point be asked the question why. Why do you believe in baptism? Why do you believe that you can't have women preachers in the congregation? Why do you worship on the first day of the week? Why do you dress the way you dress? It's at that moment we can't afford to look back at those questions with a blank stare on our face. We have to know why we do what we do. It's at that time that we can't give our opinion either. We can't give somebody else's opinion. We need to open up the word of God and find the answer. And we don't always have to know the book, chapter, and verse to every single question that we're asked. It's not what he's saying here. But we need to know why we believe what we believe and be able to find the answer. I hope that we can all put on knowledge each and every single day to grow in the Lord each and every day. We've looked at four different ways that we can put on Christ. The first was to put on our Christian clothes. We need to put on a new man and be that new man 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We need to put on our work clothes. We need to find work to do in the Lord's service. We need to put on the characteristics of a child. We need to become humble, more trusting, more loving, more forgiving toward one another. Then we need to put on knowledge. We need to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. It's my hope that something has been said in this sermon this morning that will improve your walk with the Master. What we haven't discussed though are the blessings that can be found once a person is baptized. When a person is baptized, they're a Christian. They're clean, forgiven. They have a church family who loves them that will be there for them under any circumstance. And it's also that person who has a direct avenue to God through the Son Jesus to go to him in prayer. If you've never put on Christ and you believe with all your heart that Jesus is the Son of God, you're willing to repent of your past sins and you're willing to publicly confess that he is the Son of God, what are you waiting for? You can be baptized, you can be saved today. At the beginning of the lesson, I mentioned that baptism is so special, so remarkable, and so unique that it will change a person for eternity. And for the faithful Christian, that person will have a home in heaven. But it also has effects on people that are unfaithful. If you're a Christian and you're unfaithful, the Bible describes that situation in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. It says, the latter end for you will be worse in the beginning. It would have been better for you to have never known Christ than to know him and then turn your back on him. And that same passage also gives us a very graphic depiction of what this situation is like. It compares that, that Christian to a dog that returns to his own vomit. That's very strong language, but that's how serious that, that situation is for the Christian who was once faithful and then has turned their back on God don't let the latter end for you be worse than the beginning you know that you know if you have to make that change in your life right now this morning we have elders here that will be more than happy to talk with you to pray for you we'll all pray for you and to help you in whatever way that we can if you haven't put on cross before or you have put on cross before and now you're unfaithful and you have a need to come forward please do that now as we stand and sing